What a great blessing it is to praise the name of Jesus together and what God has done in him. And Jesus is the clearest picture of love. While we look at love today in relationships of the church and our marriages, Jesus is the perfect image of love that he would give us life so we could live. Our mission has everything to do with God's love. Our mission, if you're new here with us or you're watching online, is to love God, love people, and to serve all. And while that may, uh, you may think, well, that's the mission of the staff. That's the mission of maybe the elders. Uh, that is the mission of every person in this church family that we're to be loving God, loving people, and serving all. I saw that firsthand, though, this week. I want to just tell you a little bit of how sometimes I catch a glimpse of God's church uh, loving God and loving people and serving them. Uh, there was a bike that was purchased this week uh, for a member of our church who uh, his bike is his main source of transportation. It was stolen, and a couple said, I want to make sure he gets a bike, and that bike has been bought. And I praise God for that. Let's, let's give God glory for that. There's a sister in our church who set up a meal train for a family going through a crisis. And I saw that firsthand and what that means to that family. Let's give God glory for that. And I've seen many of you this week, uh, since last weekend with the tragedies in Greenville, I think most of us are aware that there is evil that comes against life. And sometimes that takes away life. And I've seen many of you uh, come to the aid and the prayer of that family. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of that family because they do feel loved. And uh, God is working in the midst of tragedy and the loss of Laquita. And so just continue to lift them up in prayer. That, that's what love is. Uh, it, it is so much more than just saying I love you. It, it is putting it into action. This week in our uh, reading through Romans, we saw Romans 12 declare this. Look what it says in Romans 12, starting with verse 9. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Here, here's what Paul is saying. If you say you love one, be ready to show it by your actions, by your deeds, whether it be in prayer or by uh, having someone uh, host a dinner for someone in need. And I pray that our actions of serving people matter and provide hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we strive today to live out the love that you give us, let, us, uh, let our love be sincere, not just with word, but in deed and action. Father, today as we examine the, the pinnacle of love on this side of heaven between a husband and a wife, give us wisdom to apply that. Lord, be with those that are single today. Maybe they're content in that. Give them confidence in their singleness. But, Father, give us in a vision and a clear direction as we pursue all type of loving relationships. Do it according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I do have an announcement to make this morning. Some of you have been waiting for this for a while. Next Sunday is the last of this series, Can I Ask That? And some of you are like, thank goodness it's over. Okay? So there was a few claps. All right. <laughs> Um, here's the reality. This series has been a blessing, but also a burden because we have been dealing with some really tough questions. But, but personally, I have loved the conversations that your questions that you submitted have begun. Whether it's around the dinner table or late night discussions or in the, the elders meetings or in a Sunday school class or in a conversation with a friend over coffee, questions are good. And we all have questions. And here's what I want to, you to know uh, beyond anything we've probably learned a specific answer. Here, here's, the, here's one of the greatest uh, 
uh, blessings of this series, it is good to ask questions, especially among Christians. If we ask questions, the first place it should be is among the church. Because here's the reality, the world is going to give us all kinds of answers. So we need everyone to know, and I want you to hear this, it's a good thing that we can ask questions of each other and of God. Is it difficult at times? Absolutely. Do we have all the answers? And you need to know this, the answer is no. But God will guide us to be more like Jesus as we uh, pursue him, as we talk amongst ourselves and study his word. Wrestling with tough questions we have found, again, this month is controversial at times. At times it creates some pain, but I would submit to you it's worth it as we follow God and his will in the pursuit of truth. We need, we need to know questions continue need to be answered, especially if you're a parent here today. Raise your hand if you're a parent or grandparent. You need to keep asking questions, especially of your kids and grandkids. We need to know where their hearts are, where their minds are, and what they're doing in their lives. So keep asking questions because we know that our toddlers are going to ask us questions. And I love that. This week I spent some time with Daly. She's no longer a toddler, but she's in that sweet spot of questions. She's nine. We were just hanging out, and she was asking questions. And all of a sudden she surprised me, and she says, Dad... I said, yeah, Daly. She smiled and she says, Dad, you're the best dad ever. And I was like, thanks, Daly. I really need to know. I, that was awesome to hear. Thank you for saying that. And then she looked at me and smiled and says, Dad, I think you're also uh, pretty cool and confident. And I said, well, I, I've never heard you say that, but thanks, Daly. I'm glad you said that. And then she kind of ran off to play. And uh, I said, wait, Daly, did you hear that in a movie or something? And she said, yeah, Marmaduke. It was in the movie Marmaduke. You can't make this stuff up. I, I felt like that was a little strange thing. How many of you ever seen Marmaduke? I've never watched it all the way through. If you think it's a good movie, I'd probably not recommend it. It scored all of nine on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? Got a nine on Rotten Tomatoes, but, but Daily loves it. Today, I don't believe it's going to be a Rotten Tomato day because we're going to be in God's Word, and we're also answering another great question that you've asked. It's not going to be great because it's my opinion, uh, but you've asked this serious question. Really, it's two questions in one. Here, here's the question for today. How should I choose a spouse and honor them forever? It, it, it's, it's important. Many of you have asked this, this question. Uh, should I get married? How do I know when to get married? How do I know uh, this person's right for me? And some of you have said, well, how can I continue to love my spouse when things are tough? Uh, those questions in that manner have come in, so we've combined it to this one twofold question. How should I choose a spouse and honor them forever? So we're at today. Some of you, I will have to admit, you're single and you're confident, and I want to celebrate that. There's a, there's a number of places in God's Word where it actually encourages some of us to, say, to stay single, and that's good. So do not believe in any way, shape, or form you are a second-class citizen within the church. In fact, you have a very special place within the church in your singleness. Next week, you don't want to miss next week, though. It's as we wrap up this series, here's the question for next week. How can we raise our children to love Jesus? That may be as important question of anything we've asked because we believe here at FCC that the next generation is who we have to be pouring into. So how can we raise children, students, teenagers to love Jesus? You're like, well, I don't have any. I never want to have kids, so I don't have to come next week. No, it is for you as well because the sermon next week is not just about parents and grandparents. It's about how we, the church... If you're over the age of 20, probably, or if you're a teenager and above, you can be helping raise the next generation to love Jesus, even if they aren't your biological family. Each one of you have a part of helping 
the next generation know and love Jesus. So it's, it's for you. Don't miss next week. It's all about raising the next generation to know Jesus and love him. And you're going to see some of that today. There's going to be, I believe, two baptisms after the sermon. And that gives my heart joy that young people are trusting him and knowing Jesus and loving him. But today, how, how do we choose a spouse and honor them forever? This question here impacts most of us. Because many of us are married and we need to be growing in our ability to honor our spouse and to respect them and love them. And, and others of you who are single are, are definitely looking for that special someone. So let's go ahead and spend just a moment and identify who's who in the room. So if you're married, and I hope you know that this is you or not you, okay? Raise your hand with confidence if you're married. Go ahead and do it proud. If you don't, your spouse, get that hand up, you know? All right? Just keep it up for just a moment. That is the majority of the room. So you all are going to be challenged to love your spouse and honor them better. So put, put your hand down. Now... If you're single, and you probably should know that as well, and you someday desire to be married, maybe that's just a thought you have, go ahead and raise your hand with confidence. Go raise, Keep it up. Uh, see a number of them in the room much more than first service. Keep it up. Look around the room right now. Those are your opportunities. Go ahead and soak it up. Okay? Soak it up. This is like the first version of Christian Mingle there ever was, Okay? We don't have an app for that. We don't. But here's what we do have today. This is a bad commercial. But we've got a, a young adult lunch. Okay? So you can go and eat a taco or something and see some. You know, the young adult lunch is for every young adult who just wants to hang out in fellowship. But you know what? You're going to see later today, in my opinion, the best pla place to meet your spouse, your mate, is in the church family. Okay? It, it's just a, it's a blessing. Um, does that mean it has to be that way? No. But keep your eyes open in these type of situations. So how should I choose a spouse and honor them forever? Let's look at what the Bible says about this. Turn with me in Gen to Genesis 1 again. We've been in there the last three weeks. Uh, we, we were in different messages, questions about value of life. We've had questions about sexuality. And in Genesis 1, we see that God made humans, male and female, and he created us in his image and breathed them to Adam um, his breath, through the Holy Spirit, we have a, a soul and a mind and a, a, a body that is all able to love and be in relationship with one another. And because of our soul and our great value creating God's image, we can have a relationship with God. And the second most important relationship that anyone can ever have in the highest form of that relationship is in a marriage. And, and we see that. God tells us about that in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, which we're going to study today, God's word gives us an additional insight into how marriage comes to be and how, how man and women are united in marriage. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. If you've got a Bible in your pew, it's on page 2. Um, and this is just an account of, with more detail of the creation story. Here's what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Pause right here for just a second. In the last two years, especially about a year ago, we went through a span of time where everyone was about, hey, we need to isolate. We need to be uh, uh, separate from one another. Maybe not so much in marriage. But many of us have found out that we were not made to be alone and live in isolation. It's in the word here. God says it's not good for us to be alone. I want you to know if you ever feel like you weren't designed to be alone, it's probably something made deep down in you, that your desire for a relationship. 
while it may not have to be marriage, we were not created to live in isolation. And we need to really hold to that and, and pursue one another in love. Look what it says in verse 19. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all, all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever man, the man called them, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and the wild animals. Pay attention to this. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Can you imagine this? All day long, God's bringing all these amazing animals and livestock before Adam. He's like cow, uh, uh, you know, zebra, hippopotamus, elephant, uh, snake. You know, all these things are brought before Adam. And Adam's like, hey, these are cool, but none of them I can really relate to. I don't connect with any of them. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that was taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. Here's an illustration that helps me remember God's design for a relationship between a husband and wife. God took a rib. This is not highly theological. It just helps me visually see this. God took took a rib out of Adam to, to show that Adam and Eve were to come alongside each other, that husband and wife were to be partners. He did not take a piece of a skull where it would represent that Eve should lord over Adam. And he did not take a, a bone from his foot to say that the, the, the man should be a lord over the, the wife. But he took a piece of his side, a rib, and formed Eve out of that. I think just illustrating, at least to me, that, that they're to be partners and to come alongside each other. And he brought her to the man. Look what the man said. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He goes, this is more like it. That is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What a beautiful picture of God's design for relationship. There's no shame in man and woman coming together. It's a blessing. God's design for man and woman to be united forever is one of the core parts of his ability of creation, the most beautiful part of creation. So what are we looking for when we're looking for that spouse to be united with? What if you've been looking for a long time, you're like, it may never work out. I, I, I've never felt like I found this suitable person. You can connect with Adam. A Adam felt this way, not for long, but this was true. Look what it says in verse 20 again. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. There's a great need for our marriages, for relationships to be suitable. This word suitable means uh, to be a right fit, to be a proper partner. This is this idea to be a perfect mate. It's a match. And so as you are considering if you'll marry and who you'll marry, don't settle for somebody who just checks the box, but God has someone for you that is right, that is suitable, that makes you better, that you make better. And it's so much more than just sexual. The reality that two becoming one and being brought together by God is so important. Seek someone that makes you better. It's biblical. Don't sell yourself short. There's times in people's lives they're like, well, maybe I just have too high expectations. I, I don't believe as far as marriage goes you can ever have too high expectations. There's some things that are just non-negotiable, and we're going to see some of them today, that, that God wants for all of us. Are we all going to have different expectations? In some degree. But choosing a mate, and if you'll marry, is the second most important decision you'll ever make. If you're single, you need to know this. 
We need to tell our children this often. The first most important decision you'll ever make is if you'll make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Most important decision you ever make. Second most important decision is, is in a distant second, but it's this. If I marry, who will I marry? Because that is the difference of a lot of the rest of your life. Where you work, or where you live, if you'll do this for a hobby, what kind of car you drive, doesn't matter worth a hill of beans compared to who you will marry. So, so take it very seriously. And parents and grandparents and church family and the teenagers around you, pray for them about who they will marry and if they will marry. Moms and dads, pray for your kids. As I was growing up, about probably age seven, I started hearing at least once a week, Tyson, I'm praying for your future wife. I thought girls still had cooties at that point. You know what I'm saying? Don't, mom, don't say that. I am so thankful my mom prayed almost daily for my future wife. Will you pray for your children's future wife? Pray for your future spouse. So what are we looking for? One of the first things I see in the text that is so important is we need to seek a spouse that wows you. You're like, well, that seems kind of selfish. I even told Tiffany this week, my own wife, what's the first point? I'm going to suggest to everyone that we need to seek a spouse that wows us. It's in the text. Look at what it says here. After seeing all these animals that were amazing, I mean, can, can you imagine seeing all the animals that, that, that are, are alive? And, and Adam's like, man, this is great. This is, this is a pretty cool thing. But I want something for me. I want something that, that connects with me, that wows me. And Adam, this is what Adam says. He says, uh, whenever he saw Eve, it says, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I'm going to translate. He's like, now this is more like it. He's like, this is like me, but even better. There was an immediate attraction. They did not go on a lot of dates, guys. He just announced, hey, this is mine. She is of me, and I can relate. I can be in relationship. He knew it. He knew from the moment there was a sense of wow factor. Now, I want to talk to the guys for just a moment. We need to be careful that we don't make this too much about just physical sexual attraction. While it was real, Eve was made different than Adam from the beginning, and he noticed it. That is not the only wow factor. In fact, it is not the most important wow factor that we can have today. Here's what the Word of God tells us. If you look at uh, Proverbs 31, it encourages us that we need to be wowed more by character and content of a woman's heart than the curves that we see that get our hormones going, guys. Look what Proverbs says. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is far more valuable than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. It goes on to describe her. Read, read Proverbs 31. And you can apply the characteristics of this woman to a husband as well. And it doesn't talk much about physical nature at all. It talks about that she's a good businesswoman. It talks about she's a hard worker. It talks about she cares for her family. Guys, these are the things that we should be wowed by. And some of you are like, man, I can't find anything that wows me. Don't give up. If you desire it, keep praying for it. There was a time whenever I almost gave up on marriage. You're like, wow, didn't know that was part of your life. It really was. I had went uh, through the first three years of Bible college, and I was, I was starting my internship, uh, a semester-long internship in Streeter, Illinois, at Central uh, Christian Church. And, um, and I was like, man, I'm about ready to complete the last major thing before I graduate and become ordained and a full-time minister. But I was missing one thing that most people wanted a, a full-time minister to have. You know what I was missing? A wife. 
And it was a dilemma. You know, I dated uh, some, and, and I'd had some good relationships. I, I knew a lot of good girls, but there was not really a huge wow. There, there was not a moment where I felt drawn and connected to this person for life. And so I, at the beginning of this internship, I, I was honest with God. I said, God, I am not going to try to pursue uh, dating right now. At all. I'm going to focus on this ministry, this, this semester in Streeter, and see what God's doing in my life. I'm going to pour myself into to growing and being trained by this mentor and giving myself completely to you. And I prayed about it, and I, I had peace about it. I was content. And lucky for me, God let me go one week in that mindset until I was wowed. The first night of my official internship, I walked into the gymnasium in Streeter, Illinois, and I was put in charge of the junior high uh, youth group that night. The youth minister at the time said, okay, I want you to run with this. There's some adults in there. Do the devotion. And on Monday, we'll go around about more of the details of the church. So I knew how to do that. I was going to do a game, do devotion, and and meet everybody. And and that was going to be the first night that I was with them. I walked in the room, and they're playing this game. And and there's junior hires running all over the place. And some of the adult sponsors were kind of sitting on the wall, just kind of watching. every. The the junior hires weren't killing each other. You know how that goes in junior high ministry. And, and, And I noticed right off the bat there was this special someone just kind of running around the room. And she caught my eye. And I noticed that she didn't quite look like a junior higher, but she wasn't with the adults. And I thought to myself as I watched her just for a second, I was wowed. I was wowed by her smile, by her spunk, by her athleticism. And I I watched other things. My eyes were drawn back to her, and I was wowed even more. And and, uh, as the game ended, I thought to myself, I said, I sure hope she's not a junior higher. (laughs) And the reality was she wasn't. She was in college, and she was serving in the junior high ministry. And for the next nine months, we worked together with the junior hires at that church. And the day my internship was over, I asked her to marry me. That's a very unique story, but I was wowed. I had put it in God's hands, and and there was a moment when I was about ready to give up. God blessed me with more than I could imagine. If you're married now and you've been wowed in the past, take my advice. Let your spouse know that you're wowed now. Husbands, when's the last time you told your spouse, your wife, that she looked amazing? She was beautiful. Good. Praise God. (laughs) Wives, when's the last time you told your husband he didn't stink and you were proud of him? Here's the point. When's the last time you're like, honey, you're doing better than I thought. You're you're, you're amazing. You're wowed. Never lose that wow factor. And don't feel like you're being selfish, but seek someone that wows you because it'll, it'll bind you together. Also, seek a spouse that will put you before the things of this world. Look, at, You're like, well, that seems selfish again. Look what the text says. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says when, when you have this bond that God is bringing together, there's a point when you've got to assess, are they willing to leave the past behind, even mom and dad, and become united together? And if you're not willing to do that, you need to walk away from that relationship now. Well, why continue to have the pain and the problems? Does that mean you never talk to mom and dad again? No. I talk to my dad almost daily at times. But when I have an issue, when my heart is hurting, when I have a dilemma, I go to my wife first. They have to be your number one of this world. Have you found someone? Are you being that person that puts your spouse ahead of the things of this world that leave the past behind? Maybe it's hanging out with the guys. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's partying. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a hobby or the job. While all those things have a place in our lives, we have to have each other at the pinnacle part of the worldly relationships. But it gets even more serious. 
You need to seek a spouse that loves you less than they love God. While they love you more than anything of this world, your spouse, if you really want to be blessed, needs to put you uh, behind God. Jesus himself said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Here's a beautiful thing. Let's go to that love triangle. When you love God more than anything else, and he's the pinnacle of both of your loves, the, cl- the more you love God, the more you are actually drawn together. If you say, well, uh, some people say, well, I can't handle that. I have to love my spouse as number one. There will be a day when they don't deserve much love, and then where are you going to be? You're going to be split apart. But if God is at the center of that love, the more you love, the more you love him, the more you'll be drawn together. What I saw this week for the first time is the more you do that as husband and wife with children, the more you will pull them along to love for God as well. It's a perfect love triangle. Are you living that type of love for God that even loves your spouse less than him? Here's what's amazing, though. I've seen it played out in my own life before. The days where I love Tiffany the most and she feels it, or days maybe she doesn't deserve it, but I love her out of respect for Christ and not respect of her beauty or her wisdom or even what she does for me. I just love her because I'm loving Christ and loving him through her. And in that is when we overcome the world's greatest obstacles. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 puts it this way. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is this illustration, this concept of the Old Testament, that when Christ is at the center, when the Lord is at the center of your marriage, and you you wind your, your cord around him, your marriage will be virtually impossible to break. Because as you love him more, you'll be drawn to love each other even better. So how else do we strengthen the bond of marriage? If you're married, how, how do you do that forever? Some people say, well, just keep loving each other. You know, but remember what Paul said in Romans 12. Love must be sincere. It must have action. It just can't be a word. It just can't be emotion. In fact, we need to get past this idea that love is an emotion. It is an action. It is a choice that no matter how I feel, no matter what you've done, I'm going to, uh, based on my commitment I brought before you and before God, I'm going to love you. But it must be sincere. It can't be lip service. So I want to give you three things to help you love sincerely. The first is this. Love sincerely by learning to listen to your spouse. There's no better way to know who they are, what they need, or how you can love them and serve them than listening well. James says it this way in James 1. He's talking for all relationships, but it applies to marriage too. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. If you want to have a good marriage, be a quick listener. Be ready to listen. It's not easy, though. It's not, it's not automatic. To be honest, listening is one of the harder things that, that I do not do well. In fact, sometimes when Tiffany is talking to me, I hear her talking. I see the things she is uh, talking about. I hear that. But I want to think about what I want to think about. In fact, I'm often thinking about the thing I'm going to say in response to the first few things I heard her say, and I don't hear anything she said. And that's confusing. And some of you are like me in that. We've got to be honest. It's not easy. We must make a choice to listen. We have to listen. We have to learn to listen. And let's be honest. Some of the times we try to listen, we try to communicate, aren't the best. It's taken Tiffany and I over 20 years of marriage to realize there's a really bad time for me to listen. She, in fact, said this about 10 days ago. Our lives are pretty busy with basketball and uh, different things right now in this season. And the kids are staying up later and later. We used to, you know, put them to bed at 8.30 and then we could set up and talk. We're like, we're ready to go to bed and they're still awake. So, so sometimes in the last six months especially, 
We have only been talking when we're laying in bed at night, when the kids are in bed. And guess what happens, what I do? About the time she says it's time to go to bed is after I've already fallen asleep, fallen asleep on the couch. And she says it's time to go to bed. Then I go to bed and get under the covers and, and lay there, and she begins to talk. It is dangerous with the lights off and the covers. It has happened. I have fallen asleep before while she's talking. How do you think that went? So we have recently learned, just in the last two weeks, that if we're really needing to communicate, if I really need to listen or I need to share something, we can't do it as we're laying in bed. That is not the best plan. So what is it? We've got to work at it. We've got to commit to, to learn to listen like your spouse says it also. That's another big deal. Have you noticed if you're married that you, you communicate differently? If I need to say something before to go to bed, if it's on my heart, I can say it kind of like a missile. I'll just say it, and it lands kind of harsh sometimes. I'm like, oh, I said it. I'm sorry. And sometimes it may not even be offensive to her, but she's like, well, what do you feel? What do you feel about that? I don't know. I just said what I need to say. And I'm kind of like a missile. She kind of communicates a little different. She's more like one of those new uh, like um, hover things, like a helicopter. You know, just kind of she'll have something she wants to share, and she'll kind of hover over it. And she'll talk about it and, and kind of uh, talk around it and, and go to this other thing that happened in the day. And, and she just kind of hovers. I'm like, land the plane. Tell me what you need. But what I've realized, not from my own understanding, but I've read in a book, a lot of times, and it makes sense, a big part of me listening to her is just us doing something together. She wants me to be a part of what she's feeling, what she is going through. And we need to learn to listen. We need to take time to listen. So that may mean it, it, it doesn't need to happen at 1130 at midnight. It may need to be the next day right before the kids get off of school or, or in the morning uh, right before they wake up. But we need to learn to listen to one another. If we're going to love sincerely, we've got to do that. Secondly, to love sincerely, we must need be ready to completely forgive our spouse. You've got to be ready to forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, I don't know if you know this, but the books in the Bible have no chapters really. In the original context, they were just like a letter or an entire book. But we've broken them up in chapters. In Ephesians 4, right before Paul gets into marriage, he's telling the church about different things. So in verse, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 32, right before he specifically talks about marriage, he says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God, in Christ God forgave you. This goes for every relationship, but, but it's the pinnacle. If you want to, to be blessed in marriage, you got to be ready to forgive. About the third year of our marriage, Tiffany and I went to a marriage retreat, and the main speakers were a couple that had been married and in ministry for 60 years. They were in their early 80s, and at the end of the retreat, someone said this, and I'll never forget this. He asked the, the, the preacher of the couple, he said, what is the secret to you guys staying together these 60 years? And all the stress that you went through in, in raising a family and ministry and, and just hard times. And he says the key to our marriage thriving is we both married people who are willing to forgive. It's worth the price of mission. It's the only thing I actually remember from the entire weekend. But we, were, we both married someone that was willing to forgive. And he said, boy, I need a lot of forgiveness. And so do I. And so do you, and so does your spouse. We need to be ready to forgive. If you want a marriage that lasts, learn to forgive. If you want a marriage that's blessed and shines, uh, the example of Christ, uh, forgive your spouse as you have been forgiven. And the only truly way that you can ever obtain that, to get the pinnacle of forgiving like Christ and loving like God, is we have to accept his love and his forgiveness. Have you done that? 
Here's the last thing I want to share with you. To love sincerely, we need to humbly serve our spouse. You need to be willing to humbly serve. You're like, well, I can serve anyone. Now, in that that moment where you're tempted uh, to say, well, you were wrong and I'm right, eh, and you still agree to serve because you consider their value more important than your own value. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2, and he's talking about our attitude, what it should look like. It's, he's like, it should be like Jesus. He says, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but the interest of others. In your relationships with one another. And I think the pinnacle relationship is marriage. In this way, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And that mindset is he humbled himself even to death. Don't you think Jesus could have said, well, I I know, God, you sent me here, but one thing I'm not doing is dying for them because look at all the things they've done. No, he said, even to the point of death, he said, I'm going to let go of being God for a moment. I'm going to die so I can serve them. While we'll never be able to live that regard exactly like Jesus did, we need to have that same attitude. Even though they've hurt me, even though they've sinned against me maybe, I'm going to serve them and sacrifice to protect the relationship. When's the last time you did that? You know what we're tempted to do? Said, well, I've done it the last five times, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I've served you when you hurt me, when you, when you did this. You, 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 you've done things I never would. And I've, I'm not keeping track anymore. I'm not doing it. If you're keeping score, you've already lost. If you're to the point where, where you're keep, keeping track, well, I did it last time and I'm not doing it anymore, then, then your marriage is, is, needs to have a change today. But we need to humbly serve them. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5 when he starts to talk about marriage specifically. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What that means is I'm going to serve them. I'm going to submit to them. I'm going to consider them more important than even I Not because they deserve it, not because she's still got all the curves in the right places, not because he can still hit the home runs or he makes $100,000 a year or or she uh, won the beauty uh, contest or or whatever it may be. I'm not serving them, submitting them because of what they do. I'm doing it because of my reverence and respect for Jesus. And that holds true. But you know what falls apart when we submit to them because they deserve it? It will last a very short amount of time. Because we're all sinners needing forgiveness. God's word is instructing us to honor our spouses, not because they deserve it, because we respect Jesus and we've committed to him. And understand this, considering someone as more important doesn't mean you consider yourself less important. Just let that sink in for just a moment. Whenever I submit and Tiffany is more important than I am, doesn't devalue me. I would suggest to you, whenever I honor her, it, it will actually uh, be a, uh, produce honor in my life as well. And so there's a blessing. As we honor God, as we honor our spouse, then we too will be blessed and be honored. So just because you put them ahead of yourself doesn't mean you're devaluing yourself. You're respecting yourself and what God has set up in your marriage. So how will you humbly serve your spouse today? And forever. How will you do that? They're important, so what are you going to do to show them that you respect them and value them even more than your own life? You might say, well, I have the last five times stepped up. We'll do it again and again and again. No matter who is right or who is wrong, Ephesians 5 tells us to honor our spouse with love and respect. 
Now, will there be a time if they respect, disrespect you or even sin against you? Do they need to be challenged? Absolutely. Please hear this. When you go to challenge your spouse and hold them accountable for something they've done to mistreat you or dishonor God, do it in private. Don't do it in front of the kids especially. Take them aside and, and say, honey, uh, I've been really hurt by this, but I'm choosing to love and respect you, and I'm going to display it this way. But this has got to change. I'm not accepting this action. In fact, some of you girls need to probably take your guy by the collar and twist it and say, listen to me, buddy. But do it in private. Not on Facebook. Not where the world is seen, not in front of your in-laws or your outlaws or, or the people across the street. Go to them and say, we've committed to one another and I'm respecting you, but, but we need to love each other uh, be, between who we are and I love you more than anything. And will that always work to hold the marriage together? Sadly, no. There will be times, there will be people who walk away from their commitment to their spouse and to the Lord and it breaks my heart. But they can be forgiven. Are there consequences for that choice? Absolutely. If you're currently in that situation, don't give up. Don't give up. I'm so proud of so many of you for working uh, through hard times and saying, I'm going to honor God and, and honor my spouse no matter how it feels right now. And I'm praying a blessing will come. But even if it doesn't, you know that you've done the right thing. And I'm so thankful that many of you have committed to not only your spouse, but to God to honor him. And I want to pray for you right now. If you're here with your spouse today, why don't you just grab them by the hand and just hold on to their hand. And I'm just going to pray for you that you would stay committed to your vows before God and one another, that you would listen to each other well, that you would forgive, and that you would humbly serve them, and that you would be blessed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the marriages in this room. Father, I thank you for my wife, even though we're not together right now in this place, that I, I lift her up and ask that you bless her. Bless these marriages, let them listen to one another, forgive one another, and also serve one another out of a humble spirit. And that, I pray that each one would be blessed in that. Lord, bring reconciliation to marriages that need help, and bring encouragement of a wow factor for those that uh, want more. Father, to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're single, I also want to pray for you. If you're a single person searching... I pray for you that you would one day find that wow, that you'd be blessed beyond what you can imagine. I also pray for you if you're single and you're content. You're like, I have no desire to be married. That is good. That is fine. It is biblical. You are not any less valuable to the kingdom than someone who's married and has 10 kids. In fact, you might be able to serve in such a way that I never could and never can. So I want to pray for you as well, that you would stay confident in your search and confident in your singleness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for those that are single here today. Give them confidence in who they are first. You've created them valuable and, and perfect for, for your glory. Father, if someone is searching here today for a spouse, give them patience and let them focus on things that really matter. Let them see that wow factor. Let them know that you are more important than any woman or man could ever be in their lives. And let them have someone that truly cherishes them. Lord, if there's someone here that's single and, and they're at peace with that, I pray that you would increase that peace and that confidence. Let this church never be a place that values people differently because if they're single or married or has kids or no kids. Let us all realize that we are valuable in your kingdom just the way that we are right now and help to build each other up. Give those that are today that are content, let them have joy that, that you've given them a, probably a special thing that Many of us can never have the opportunity to do in, in a new way. 
Father, um, most importantly, if someone is here today and is seeking for love, let them find it in you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare to sing? We've got one more challenge before you. No matter who you are or what's going on, until you receive the love of Jesus, these things that we've talked about don't really pan out very well. So if you're here today and you realize I've never been forgiven and received God's love, man, it's offered freely to every one of you. If you want to accept it, this is the invitation. And I do know two young people that are planning to do this. And would you pray for them as they consider to come forward to accept Jesus as their Savior? Let's celebrate.